this month's ianabernethy.com podcast. Following on from last month, this month we'll be discussing how to structure catabase sparring. Hello, uh, I'm Ian Abernethy and welcome to this month's ianabernethy.com podcast. Uh, I'm sure, sure most of you know, last month we discussed uh, the first part of catabase sparring where we looked at uh, the broad principles of catabase sparring, what it is and how it fits into the grand scheme of things. And this month we're going to discuss, um, get a bit more specific, d- discuss how uh, catabase sparring should be structured, some of the key things to consider. I will also give you a number of examples of uh, various drills that uh, that I make, um, make use of in my own dojo and on my own uh, grading syllabus. Obviously, we can't discuss everything in its totality, but hopefully you'll get a flavour of it, of these um, these two podcasts um, together. And again, if you would like to know more, then there's a few things you could look at. There's some Catabase Sparring articles on the website. Uh, there's the free uh, ebook, An Introduction to Applied Karate. That includes some information on Catabase Sparring. Uh, Catabase Sparring information is also found in my book, uh, Bunkai Jitsu, The Practical Application of Karate Kata and in the book uh, Karate's Grappling Methods as well. Um, you can also, of course, the probably the best thing to, to check out is the Catabase Sparring DVD, um, which contains instructions on um, all the various drills that we'll be discussing this month and, and plenty of others, and it actually you get to see it all, all done as well. So um, the DVD is long enough to give you kind of like a broad overview of it, you see. So um, it's not something we could do with little kind of video clips and stuff, really. So there's some some places you can go for extra information, but obviously you know have a listen to this uh, podcast first, and hopefully that'll, that'll clear um, a few things up for you. So yeah, let's get on with it. We've got a lot to discuss this month, so without further ado, uh, let's discuss the second part of Catabase sparring by looking at uh, its structure and its specifics. Warning, all sparring is potentially dangerous and should only ever be conducted under the guidance of a suitably qualified and experienced martial arts instructor. Last month we discussed the broad uh, principles of kata-based sparring, uh, how it fits into the grand scheme of things and how we uh, take the methodology of kata and develop it into live uh, free-flowing drills, the broad principles. Now, this month we're going to discuss uh, more specific ways of training kata-based sparring, discussing uh, the, how to set it up, some of the key considerations, and we'll also give you some example drills as well. Um, so to start with, what I want to do is just go through some, some key points. Now, one thing we established last month was that kata was designed for dealing with a civilian situation. So therefore we need to ensure that we spar in a way that uh, accurately recreates that, that environment. So I've got a few kind of broad principles I want to quickly discuss that you need to make sure are a part of your kata-based sparring training. Now the first one we need to understand is that uh, sparring, as realistic as it may be, it's never real. Um, there's always some compromises made in the name of safety or because we want to isolate some specific skill. So we always need to identify the flaws in any given sparring exercise. So if I was to say, we're doing a, a sparring session on punches, right? And I put the boxing gloves on to save my uh, my, my partner from, obviously, injury. Uh, now, as soon as I put those gloves on, 
what are the flaws? Well, one is I've now got hands that are a lot less tactile. I can't grab, I can't feel, I can't control limbs as well as I could. I've got a fist that's much bigger than it was, so my hit rate's going to increase. I have these pads that I can hide behind, so I can use them defensively in a way that I wouldn't be able to use them if I had bare hands. Um, I can't grab as well because I have these these, these gloves on. So, um, not that putting boxing gloves on is a bad thing, um, because it can help you know make the punching side of it more realistic. But we need to be aware that flaws are introduced, and to minimise the effects of those flaws, we just need to be aware that they're there. Now, another type of uh, flaw that we'll introduce is if we want to work a specific skill. So let's say we wanted to work throwing from our kata. We want to work our throwing and kata-based sparring. So we might say, okay, uh, it's throws we want to work on, um, so we're just going to throw one another. We're not going to punch, we're not going to kick. Um, uh, if we go to the ground, we're going to stop. We just want to work throws. Now, obviously, as soon as we've done that, we've introduced flaws because we're not punching one another. So we can get away with things that we wouldn't be able to get away with if we were allowing punches. Now, again, that's not that's okay because we're trying to isolate a specific skill. Now, so long as we isolate, the, uh, identify that there are flaws there, that's not a problem. So that's that's the first one. Whenever you do any sparring drill, make sure you're clear on what the flaws are. Now, there will be flaws there, but you need to be aware of what what they uh, what they are, and hence you don't lose sight of the realism. Um, another one is when we start our kata-based sparring, we should start it in a way that's comparable to uh, real situations. So there's kind of a couple of main things there. Uh, one is we should start with dialogue. Um, often in normal sparring, we'll start by bowing and touching gloves. And, I mean, that's okay in, its, in itself. But we also need to make sure that we um, we mimic real situations. So what we should do is have uh, dialogue before we start, have people um, shouting, screaming, threatening one another. So you get used to it. You just don't care about that, that, that side of things. Um, you also have people acting in a deceptive manner, uh, walking towards you, trying to be your best friend, and you've got to kind of keep the distance, and then the fight kicks off whenever you want it to kick off, or whenever the partner wants it to kick off. Um, so we should start with aggressive or deceptive dialogue, uh, not always formal uh, formal etiquette, because then it's realism, and if you've never practiced having someone swear at you, and scream at you, and shout at you, and salivate, and be that raging mass of aggression in front of you it can really freak you out the first time you experience it now so for my own students that's no big deal because it happens every sparring session they're just not impressed when people scream and shout and try to intimidate them it just doesn't work because they've got that much experience of it so it is important that we bring in those elements um, those elements too um, aside from dialogue the other way to make sure you keep your cat base sparring real is to start it without any warning um, so the kind of the ambush scenario uh, scenario if you like uh, one f way that my, my students love this one is we pad up at the start of a session. We do whatever we're doing. We're doing our cutter, our line work, our pad work, our physical conditioning, but we keep pads on all the time. At any given point during that session, I'll shout fight. As soon as I shout fight, they all start fighting. I want a riot to break out. Um, attack anybody, whether they're ready for you or not. You know, so we'll have situations where we'll have groups onto one or a group fighting another group or you know, it's just chaos. And we'll let that run for, you know, maybe 15, 30 seconds, something like that. Um, and that's just to get them used to the sudden kind of shock of, woof, I'm fighting. I was doing something else and now I'm fighting. And again, you know, it's just part of conditioning. So if, unfortunately, their awareness isn't what it should be or they're the victim of a well-established, uh, well-executed ambush, um, then they're still used to kind of uh, reacting uh, aggressively and, and, and re-establishing uh, dominance very quickly. 
Uh, to keep our cannabis sparring realistic, we need to keep it close. Uh, what we must not do is extend the distance to um, sports sparring distance, outside kicking range, and start introducing the fancy footwork and the closing the gap and the back and forth. Uh, to keep it real, we need to keep ourselves really kind of close together, just like a real fight, a toe-to-toe slugfest. That's how it needs to be. Uh, we should also make sure that we don't bring any trained responses into it. And by trained responses, I mean uh, prov- acting in a way that's designed to use your partner's training against them. So to kind of give a real simple example, if you were throwing, you start throwing a few jabs when you're sparring, right? And you throw it again and again and again, and you get your partner really jumpy about that front hand, okay? Then you fire that jab off, the partner is really jumpy, they overreact, the hands fly up towards the head, and then you drop that kind of good strong body shot into the body. Now what you did there was you threw the jab knowing that because of your opponent's training, they would lift their arms up. Now in a real fight, you can't rely on that. Uh, one is it's because it's, it's faster and frantic. There just isn't the time for those kind of reactions to take place. And the other one is your uh, opponent, your enemy, probably will not have had that d- degree of training. Um, they won't uh, respond in the way that you know others have been trained to respond. Now, now I know for a fact already there's somebody out there thinking, yeah, but what if they're another martial artist? And just take it from me, it just doesn't work that way. Um, Even if the guy has uh, a lot of martial arts training, when it kicks off for real, it still won't be anything like a dojo fight or a match fight. It just won't. Um, It'll be far more explosive, uh, far more frantic, far more aggressive, far more emotional. Um, Now, if you've no kind of direct experience of that, it can be hard to kind of get that across, but... As an example, if you can all think back to when the the Tyson Lewis um, press conference, uh, when those two guys kind of kicked off. Um, now, at the time, of course, you were arguably two of the best uh, punches on the planet. Yeah? Um, the fight kicks off at, the, at, at that point, and it was a street fight. It wasn't a boxing match. Uh, Tyson starts screaming and shouting, so we've got the aggressive dialogue. He flies across the, 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 the ring, runs across. Um, he, th- he throws a, a punch. Uh, Lewis throws a punch over the top of him that misses. Uh, Tyson kind of fumbles over his own feet. Um, there's chaos going on all around them. Uh, Tyson grabs, o- uh, Lewis grabs out of, sorry, Tyson grabs out of Lewis's leg and sinks his teeth into it. Right? Uh, that's a street fight. You know, there was no kind of fancy back and forth. There was no uh, setting them up, no skilled combinations. It just didn't look anything like a boxing match, despite the fact these are two people who were at the pinnacle of the boxing game at that time. Um, so it is important that you know trained responses have no part of um, a real situation. You don't find feints or fakes in your kata, so you should not find them in your kata-based sparring or in your sparring to prepare you for for real conflict. Uh, another one is that your sparring, your kata-based sparring, should include uh, escaping. Okay, the, the the aim is to keep ourselves safe, to protect ourselves from harm. It's not necessarily to kind of stay there and win win the fight right we need to practice escaping and, and running away and we'll talk about some examples of that uh, later on uh, overall for our sparring we must not limit the techniques or the ranges allowed now we may in any specific catabase sparring drill so on certain ones we'll say look this is just throwing or this is just groundwork or this is just punching or this is just fighting from within a clinch we might isolate certain things to develop certain skills but overall we'll cover all the techniques and ranges now generally in um Karate, because it's been so heavily influenced by the sporting side of things, uh, people um, are fairly good at the kind of kicking and punching mid to long range stuff, but they don't like getting close up. And if they do get close up, the referee stops it and moves apart. Or there's just an unwritten rule that we won't go that close. So we need to ensure that we include all techniques and all ranges in our training, although not necessarily in any given kata-based sparring exercise, but overall we will. 
Uh, we also need to emphasize uh, simplicity and high percentage techniques. Now, when you're sparring with another martial artist, it's often the most complex techniques that work the best. It's the ones that are off radar, that your experienced partner, your experienced opponent, hasn't seen. Uh, you trick them into thinking you're doing one thing when you're doing something else, uh, or you use uh, an elaborate technique that, that they may not have, um, have seen before, you know. Um, now that'll work great in that environment, but in, in the, like a real situation, which is you know a lot more unforgiving, and as we've discussed, that there's not the same need to kind of consider your opponent's training. Um, we don't need to uh, keep things uh, complex. We should emphasise the simplicity and the high percentage techniques. So in cannabis sparring, keep it simple. Uh, this is a big one. This one, we also need to make sure we vary the numbers in our cannabis sparring. Uh, real fights are rarely one on one. So, to, uh, but for most people in sparring, it's always one-on-one. -on -one. Now, as soon as you add that second person, it changes things massively. Um, <laughs> groundwork is probably the classic example. If you're fighting one-on-one, -on -one, uh, taking the guy at the ground and staying there with him can work great. If you have a second person in that mix, the instant you hit the ground, you're going to get a severe kicking. Um, because you can't flee, you can't move, your maneuverability is gone. So you need to practice uh, two onto one, three onto one, uh, uh, two onto three. You need to practice all these variations in numbers in order to understand what works well in what environments. Otherwise, you can make some very dangerous assumptions. Now, I accept it's very difficult to outfight two people or more than that, but you can defend yourself from them. You can flee effectively. You can maneuver them effectively. You can deal with one to create an escape route, and you need to practice all of that in your um, you're sparring and obviously that's what the methods of kata are designed for it's that kind of environment uh, another thing you need to consider is that you also need to practice protecting others um, Itosu when he was outlining his 10 precepts of karate said uh, karate is not only practiced for uh, your own benefit it can also be used to protect one's uh, family or master um, so we, use, we can use it to protect others uh, now just to kind of give a quick example if I was defending myself um, let's say there's, you know, there's a, a situation developed, my awareness hasn't been what it should be, there's a, a number of people um, I need to defend myself against, I control the range, I preempt one, as he drops, bang, I'm off, I'm out of there real quick, I managed to successfully flee that situation, that's a win, right? Now let's have the same situation, but my uh, my wife is with me, right? So I hit the first guy, I run, my wife's left there, and then she gets attacked, right? Now aside from the fact my wife would hunt me down and kill me for doing that, <laughs> there's um, th th it's not good, it's not a win. You know, I, I should be there, I should be able to protect my wife, my children, my friends, you know, the other people that uh, maybe aren't as capable of defending themselves as... As, uh, as I am. So we need to practice that in training and we'll talk about some drills later on. We need to uh, practice that scenario where we allow others to flee while we ourselves may get beaten. Um, like, for, as I've said, you know, if I was protecting my wife or children, if they got away safe and I got a, got a good beating, uh, that's a win for me. If they got away safe, I'm happy with that. Ideally, we all want to get away safe, but if someone's got to be sacrificed, it's going to be me. Um, so we need to kind of practice that too, protecting others. Uh, that's part of cannabis sparring. Uh, and the other thing is we need to spar uh, when distressed. Um, that's very important. Now, we've already talked about it starting without warning, which can obviously introduce adrenaline, uh, starting with the aggressive dialogue. But, but another good one is to, is to spar when you're absolutely exhausted. Ideally, your partner or partners are fresh, but you're exhausted. Um, this can help because you get similar uh, feelings to what a real fight feels like. You feel weak. Um, you can feel nauseous. You feel like you want to be anywhere else on earth. Uh, your body isn't quite responding in the way that you want it to. Um, so 
all kinds of things, but the ability to override that exhaustion and, and, and keep going and, and function um, as well as you can is, um, is very important. So let's quickly recap those, okay? So when you're structuring your cat-to-base sparring, be aware of the flaws of any given sparring exercise. It's not a problem that there are flaws there, but you need to be aware of them in order to keep an eye on realism. Um, start with aggressive or deceptive dialogue, not always formal etiquette. Um, start sometimes without warning. Uh, keep the combat uh, up close and personal. Don't bring any trained responses into the mix. Uh, practice escaping don't always kind of practice staying there and fighting uh, don't limit the techniques or ranges all right we might do for any specific exercise but overall everything needs to be covered in our training we need to emphasize simplicity and high percentage techniques uh, we need to vary the numbers because real fights are rarely one-on-one -on -one, and we also need to ensure that we spar um, when we're exhausted when we're under stress so there's some kind of keys um, for cat-to-base sparring and um, we'll now move on to discuss some uh, some drills, some specific drills to give you some ideas of how you could uh, bring cat-to-base sparring into your own uh, training. In this uh, second section of the uh, the podcast, I want to discuss some of the drills, cat-to-base sparring drills that you can do. Um, so what I'm going to discuss is these are some of the ones found on my own uh, my own syllabus. Um, and these are just trying to give you ideas. So what we have is we have the technique that we would use in sparring are extracted from the kata. Um, the limb control, the striking, uh, the throwing, uh, the joint locking, uh, the takedowns, all of that we've learnt from kata. Now what we need is a kind of um, uh, a live environment in which to put those techniques so we can learn to freely apply them, vary them, use them and gain live combative skill. Now I think it's very important that the sparring uh, gradually builds up. Uh, there's sometimes a kind of almost like a um, testosterone gone mad thing in the martial arts where it's a case of, right, in my dojo, everything's full contact from day one, full on, full contact, because that's what it is in the street. Um, so that's what you get in my dojo. Now, I can follow the logic. The only trouble with that is all that does is it makes tough guys tougher. If you had a 65-year-old grandmother turn up in your dojo and she says, look, I want to learn some self-defense, your answer shouldn't be, okay, stick on the head guard, get in the cage, and we'll be with you in a minute. You know, you have to kind of build people's skills up and build people's confidences up. So that's what we do in, in my dojo. We start very, very basic. So to give you an idea of how basic, right, for their first uh, grading, uh, one of the first types of sparring that they do, is the person is only allowed to throw straight punches, front punches and reverse punches, jabs and crosses. And all the other person has to do is kind of move around and cover. All right? And then halfway around, the change over. Right? So really simple, just two shots. And all that's really there for is to get them not caring about punches being thrown at them. Um, that, that, that's essentially the, the, the method of it. And to get, obviously, the attacker used to kind of distancing and things. Right? For the grappling side of it, they do the simple forearm and neck grip and the back and uh, triceps grip. Those grips and just gently move around with one another. Um, and they also do uh, what we call playing for grips. So they're basically just grappling, looking for whatever grip they want. But there's no techniques off those grips. Uh, and that's it. Okay, so that, um, uh, two minutes of the 
uh, the front punches and reverse punches been thrown, a minute of neck and forearm, a minute of back and uh, triceps, and a minute of playing for grips. Right, dead simple, dead easy. And through that, they get used to uh, punches been thrown at them. They get used to being grabbed, and they get used to kind of grappling at close in in a range where there's no consequences for failure. And again, it'll gradually kind of develop skill. Now, for the next grading, we add in hook punches as well to the straight punches. And what we also do is we bring in uh, rounds of continuous uh, punching, static sparring, as a person tries to jam and control the hands. Now, for this one, they're not allowed to move. Um, so this brings in the close range skills that we've talked about. And they'll far, spar um, toe to toe. So very quickly, this proves to them that a guard's not a great idea. If a guy's swinging punches at you, the best way to stop him from doing that is to jam the arms. Trying to um, block every one or hide behind a guard doesn't work for very long. You need to kind of proactively go after the partner's arms to stop them from hitting you. Now that's a skill that the kata teaches us. We, you know, techniques like knife hand and hikatesh teaches us that. So we're doing sparring. And as a side benefit, that when you're not moving your feet, the bobbing and weaving skills tend to improve, which um, you don't really see so much in traditional kata, but it's something that we've kind of adopted from uh, from Western boxing, and we find that kind of helps for us as well. Uh, we also do uh, rounds of grappling for each other's backs. So for the previous grade, we'd done playing for grips. Now we play for grips, but you've got to try and get behind your partner, get your arms under theirs, and lock your hands together round the front of the, their belly. And again, this just creates them to get the use to the rough and tumble of pulling uh, and pushing. Uh, next grading up, we do uh, what we call free hand sparring, which is essentially boxing. That's what people would call it. So it gets them used to uh, swinging and throwing punches from various angles. But where it differs from boxing is we try to avoid the uh, hiding behind a guard and we encourage the datum setting and the removing of limbs in order to get these shots in. Uh, we also do um, a two-minute round for the next grade of punching from within a clinch. So they have to hold one another and they have to get shots on from within that clinch. They punch one another from within it. So again, this brills in the controlling uh, and grappling, grappling skills that we see in kata and allows us to kind of uh, develop those, uh, those punches as well. Um, another drill that we do is we have one person lie down on the floor where the other person stands up. Uh, the person standing up has to kind of kind of get in and do some damage. The person on the bottom has to keep their feet towards the partner. They can kick out lightly towards the shins and try and regain their feet. Um, so again, see all very basics, you know, but just kind of gradually kind of um, builds uh, builds those those skills. Obviously, a lot of these are repeated. You know, we make them longer and we make them more intense as the gradings kind of go up. Um, one of the next ones we kind of introduce is escaping from from a clinch. So what we have is one person will try and hold you and punch and kick you and grapple you within and what the other person they can hit and punch but their aim is to break that clinch to escape from it which is obviously um, a key thing for for self-defense uh, we for the groundwork the first bit of groundwork we do is what we call get up and hold down so one person will lie down the other person will kind of pin them or hold them down in some way sometimes in a skilled way sometimes in a, a not so skilled way just to kind of replicate the various methods you might face in the street and the person on the ground has to try and fight the way up using punches and kicks or whatever, you know, grappling skills. And the person on the top has to try and keep them down. Um, as soon as the only part of them touching the floor is the soles of the feet, the person who was being pinned, we count that as a win and we'll switch over and go again. So that develops the real ground fighting skill. Not sitting there looking for the submission really, but I need to get back up before I get kicked to death. So that's what we um, we bring into the uh, bring into the, the, the sparring there as well. Another one that we do as well, one of the next ones we do is uh, which we mentioned earlier is escaping from two people. Now to start with, we only we only allow grabbing um, because obviously the the punching 
adds another element in. So start, we started dead simple, just, just grab, uh, uh, grabbing. Uh, those who are um, from the UK might be familiar with the game uh, British Bulldog, which was um, we used to play a lot at school, people of my age, but then it was banned from schools because people kept getting hurt. <laughs> but the, essentially that, that's all it is really. What we do is we have uh, one person has to flee, and in front of them we'll have two people standing. So a person will start with the back to the wall, two people in front of them. And that person has to flee to a predetermined safe zone. It's normally the other end of the dojo. Uh, and these two can grab them and stop them and so you've got to kind of hand off and, and run through and once you've kind of got a good grip on that person um, then obviously you know they're not going to escape and, and, and that's that but it's practicing running away it's that, that's the skills within kata help us with those disengagements um, and help us not get grabbed in the first place so we actually practice that uh, that live as well for weapons work, first type of weapons work that we do is what we do, um, we do it on the attempted weapon draw. So we have two people standing, um, the guy will maybe reach behind or into his gi or tries to go for the weapon, they have to jam the hand and strike, and then flee. Right? Uh, don't even let them get the weapon out. Uh, and again, that jamming of the hands, controlling of the limbs to deliver strikes is found throughout kata. You know? So that, that's where we kind of um, we start with that one. And we also start mixing things up as the grades go on as well. So, um, whereas we said before, we used the, we allow them to box and then we had the clinching separate. Well, further on, we say, okay, you can box and clinch and carry on fighting from within that clinch. Um, and as people who lead the sparring as instructors, we might instruct them to, to break every now and again and, and come back in, but we do that. Uh, we do ground grappling for submissions. Uh, we start that with people sitting uh, back to back, where they'll they'll start off. They've got to try and submit one another. Uh, we sometimes give each person a number. So one person will be number one, another person number two. And while they're grappling for submission, if I shout out that person's number, that person then has to try and get to the feet. Um, so we don't forget that that's the the kind of uh, uh, main aim. Uh, for the throwing, uh, we start with doing it compliantly. So one of the first things you have to do for one of the the, the gradings is to do a two-minute round of compliant throws and takedowns. So throw for throw. So one will do a throw, second person will do a throw, blah, 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 blah. Um, and obviously for future grades, it's okay to try and throw your partner. They resist, you know, and that's how we kind of build that one up. Um, the escaping, obviously, we, we mentioned then we add in the striking as well. So you've got to escape from two people who kind of uh, grab and, and strike. Um, what we also do is we kind of the throwing then will get com combined with the boxing and the clinch fighting so now they can grab they can throw they can punch if it goes to the ground they carry on fighting on the ground so we gradually can't start of, uh, melding uh, things together um, we also do the um, escape from two people but now we add in protecting a third person which we mentioned earlier so the idea is that we'll have say a person who's deemed a non-fighter at the back the fighter, like if you like, the, the bodyguard in front of them. Then we'll have three or four people or however many in front of, of that person. And the aim is that the person, the non-fighter, has to get to the safe zone and the, the bodyguard or the fighter, if you like, has to stop the other ones from getting this person so that they can do it. So again, we develop the skill to uh, to protect ourselves, um, not only protect ourselves, but also to kind of uh, protect um, protect others. Um, so once we've got, so they're the kind of ways we build things up. I'm skipping over and I've missed a few things out there, but you'll start hopefully to get the the general idea. Um, as we move up to the kind of intermediate grades, then we have kind of set types of sparring so for various gradings for the intermediate onwards. We'll do uh, the first thing we'll do is a two minute round of full all in sparring. So that means um, they can grab, they can clinch, they can punch, they can go at the floor, they can use submissions, they do everything. Okay, all in. 
which some people mistakenly believe to be the most realistic, but it isn't. Because by definition, when you start doing the all-in thing, um, some gameplay almost becomes inevitable. Um, and, and so we've got to kind of really kind of watch that, really. Um, we then follow that with a two-minute round of vertical all-in sparring, which means they can punch and they can kick and they can clinch and they can throw, but if it goes to the ground, it stops. Um, they just get back up. Then we do a two-minute round of ground all-in sparring. So they're looking for submissions on the ground. They can punch one another, um, choke, strangle, arm lock, all the usual kind of stuff. Um, then follows a two-minute round of all-in sparring where they're trying to get to the feet. Um, that's the main objective. So one person's trying to get the feet and one person's trying to hold them down. We then have a two-minute round of trying to escape from a clinch. Uh, and then we'll join up, and then we do any other type of sparring selected by the panel. So all the other kind of stuff we've mentioned, protecting others and all that that, that kind of stuff, will uh, be included in there too. So that's a kind of very brief overview, but I hope there's some kind of ideas there that you can use for your kata-based sparring. Uh, the key is obviously to understand the methods that are in kata, and then to put them into some kind of live drill. And despite what people say, it's real easy to do this safely and effectively, and the students get a lot out of it, and they, they really enjoy it too. Uh, always very difficult to kind of put this stuff across on uh, a podcast. And I did think about putting like a little kind of clip on of some of the footage from the, the dojo, but but I feel that would probably mislead more than, um, than help, because you're only going to see little snippets of certain drills and things. Um, so if you're interested in seeing more of this, it's the Cataberse Sparring DVD that you really need to look at because you'll, you'll see this stuff done live, you'll see it explained, uh, you'll see some skilled people do it, some not so skilled people do it, you'll see how it's always a mess, how it always looks ugly, um, and you'll see, you know, the kind of running aways and all that kind of stuff. It's all well explained on there. But hopefully this podcast has given you some, um, ideas on how to structure Cataberse Sparring in, uh, your own dojo. So that concludes our two-part look at kata-based sparring. Uh, in the first part, we looked at um, what kata-based sparring is and how it sits in the grand scheme of things. And in this part, we looked uh, at some briefly at some general principles that apply to kata-based sparring. And uh, we ran quickly through kind of a number of uh, examples and drills. And hopefully that will kind of help you uh, understand kata-based sparring uh, a little bit, bit more. Now, essentially what you need, it's not complicated kata-based sparring at all. I know it does confuse uh, some people, but it's if you understand kata and you understand what a real fight's like, it just marries together perfectly. It's, 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 um, it's only when you don't understand quite what a real fight is or you don't quite understand how kata's supposed to work that I think it gets a bit confusing. But if you concentrate on understanding those two, then you'll find it'll all marry together um, quite nicely. And it's, it isn't complicated. It's, it's, it's not, not difficult um, at, at all. Kata-based sparring is, is way simpler than most of the other types of sparring because it's so free. You know, there's, there's so few restrictions on it. Um, it, it, is, it is very simple to kind of to practice and engage in. It's something everybody can do and everybody can benefit and uh, enjoy from. Uh, and it's also vital, as I discussed in the first podcast, you know, if you're not training live, you're not preparing yourself for a live situation. To, to me, that's self-evident, but in the wider martial arts world, it doesn't seem to be the, the case that people share that view. You know, you see a lot of people practicing say, solo forms or um, uh, compliant drills, and all these things can be useful, but they're not they're not enough. You know, you, you need to kind of keep uh, building and building and then taking it into live training, because it's only when it's live that you develop live live skills. 
Um, yeah, so I hope this podcast helped. If there's any particular part of Catabase Sparring that you would like more information on that you'd like me to return to in uh, future podcasts, or generally just any subject you'd like me to address in future podcasts, uh, always feel free to drop your suggestions to Ian, I-A-I-N, at uh, com. And I'll, I'll, I'll certainly, uh, we'll certainly look at those issues and we'll um, address them hopefully in uh, future podcasts. Um, on the subject of podcasts, from my own uh, website, from the blog, uh, with all the different podcasts and video lessons and stuff we've done, we've now had over uh, 50,000 of them downloaded, 50,000 of the podcasts downloaded. That's just from my site alone. That doesn't include people getting it from iTunes and all the other various sources. So uh, I'm amazed by that. 50,000 podcasts have been listened to. That's fantastic. You know. So thank you very much for, for your part um, in that. Um, thank you for listening to them and obviously spreading the word about them to your friends and training partners as well uh, thanks also to everyone who went on to itunes and was kind enough to put a review um of the podcasts on there um that obviously all helps so thanks to everyone who did that last month and if you still want to do it of course it's still there just pop along to itunes and leave your uh, your feedback there um yeah so thanks once again to, to you all i hope you have a great month and i'll be back next month with a new uh, subject for uh, the podcast um yeah okay so thanks very much and i'll speak to you soon bye bye now